how do I DM? So there's the golden yeah, yeah. question right there. Yeah, good question. Yeah. How do you DM? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, let me know when you figure it out is what I said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the first thing I said. Hmm, good question. But let me know when you figure it out. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. You are listening to the Casting Shadows podcast. This is a special bonus episode featuring, well, a comfortable conversation with Che Webster of Roleplay Rescue as we talk about learning games originally and being a part of other people learning games now, coaching and mentoring. I thought this might be a good topic for us to discuss for three reasons. One, it's a primary interest of mine. How do we learn games better? But more importantly, they are a part of, I guess, the, the mission statement of Roleplay Rescue. Bringing people back to the game and making that experience easier, allowing for greater confidence and a quicker road to satisfaction, you know, rescuing your lost roleplay hobby. Roleplay Rescue recently celebrated its fifth anniversary, and I had wanted to get this conversation out before then, but as it tends to do, life and scheduling got in the way, so We'll be releasing it today. <laughs> Another challenge that Che has taken on is being public about men's health. And he participates in Movember. So it's important to me to get this episode out at least during the month of November. And I think that while it may seem to be entirely focused on the idea of anecdotes and stories and commentary about learning games or guiding people in their learning of games, or at least being present to help coach them through some difficult moments or point out some different things that can be tried. While it seems to be mainly about that, there is that aspect of lonely fun in the hobby, which so many people of an age, <laughs> either just starting out and not knowing anybody, or coming back to the hobby later and not knowing anybody, or having continued to play but leaving so many people along the way that you're the last one left, or at least it feels that way there can be an isolating sense that games and your interest in games are just your fun, your lonely fun, and become as much a part of your ongoing isolation as they could be the solution. And I find 
that to be something to speak out against. It is possible to find people to play with. It is possible to get back into and play games. It's possible to play the games that you want to play and not just the games that are easily on offer. That gaming experiences in large public spaces that require great expense and lots of travel and exposure to various diseases and you know all the other things that can keep people away from conventions aren't the sole means to play. They aren't the center of the hobby. They aren't required of you. That the heart of gaming is connection with friends and family around a table playing these games and exploring the experiences that they produce. And so in you know, tribute, in recognition, in the spirit of all of that, I wanted to have this conversation and release it. And hopefully, late is better than never. And so as it's not Roleplay Rescue, my tribute will be this, four minutes and six seconds. I'm here with Jay Webster, a man who needs no introduction, which is why I have just introduced him. You can hear him more often on Roleplay Rescue or on his blog, also called Roleplay Rescue. And I've invited him to come chat with me because I'm, one, dying for conversation, and two, we wanted to talk about... uh, interacting we want to talk more i guess about interacting with other gamers about coaching and mentoring and so welcome back to casting shadows jay thanks for having me on again it's nice nice to be asked (laughs) so what prompted me to to reach out again really was a blog post that you put out at time of recording i think two weeks ago okay or when i saw it i don't know when you wrote it okay i'm gonna go look it up and uh, in which one of the members of your school club approached you asking about, you know, actually dungeon mastering instead of whatever they felt that they were doing <laughs> mm-hmm. in that role. So, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm so I'm because I've also talked about this a little bit on the GM's journal, which is the bonus episodes I do for my patrons. um and probably more extensively spoken about it there actually but yeah essentially so i run a school game club um just for those who don't know and so i'm a school teacher on tuesday night after school we stay for about an hour and a half or so and i get a session time and when we started this year um i decided that i would run a uh D game uh using becmi beck me D &D for 1983 basic and expert specifically um and that's that sort of led into a whole whole load of gaming for me not just at the school club but actually that that game which is set in a a realm called felmere has become uh something i'm playing with on my saturday night group as well on a bi-weekly basis that's quite cool yeah anyway this particular guy that you're talking about um who obviously has to remain nameless because i'm not allowed to talk about students in right and identify them um but essentially had been running uh since last year 
when they first came to the school club, I was running stuff last year, I was very hands off and I just basically thrown products at them and had been running some D and D with fifth edition. Um, and, and it sort of, I think it started with the starter set, the original starter set, the, the one, the, the good one, you know, which actually has, um, Fandelin and all that in it. Um, Fandelva, oh, isn't it? Fandelva. Yeah, Fandelva, whatever it is. Yeah, that's that. That's the good starter set. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's probably what the Alexandrian says is the best ever module, like scenario for a box set ever. Um, and you know, had been mucking around and then had loads of. And essentially, what I'd noticed last year was a lot of their sessions are just wordless, like fights. They were running like extended fights and then some linking kind of bits of action and 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 storytelling going on between but basically big fights um and then the start of this year um i'd started running this particular game which is why this is relevant and this other student the student had been like running a session alongside and then come to a ground to a halt and came over at the end of one particular uh session i think the second one and just kind of said uh so um like how do you dm um to which my witty reply was uh good question like let me know when you figure it out <laughs> and then i went into a conversation which was along the lines of look what i'd advise you to do is to first of all go right back to your basic your dnd roots i you know like in what you were doing with they had not actually used the fandelva product they just kind of like had that and then he couldn't be bothered to read it as far as i could tell um so he kind of like just ran kind of i think ran the goblin fight maybe the caves a bit and then kind of like stopped and then gone off and done their own things with lots of different products and um what i realized is there's a massive lack of kind of like how to play and now i had decided to use basic D simply because of that problem like i knew that fifth edition games tend to be like too slow for a one and a half hour session mm. um it's very hard to run any kind of amount of adventure especially if you have any combat scenes you know in an hour and a half if you're using fifth edition it's a slower game system than basic D D from 1983 simply because it's got a lot more rules um right. and you know D D basic for 1983 in, in a one and a half hour session you know i can run probably a half a dozen decent rooms explorations probably a couple of fights in there two three fights in there no problem do you know what i mean and and i think what this happened is the students had observed that and this particular student had certainly observed that sort of pace of play and the and the fact that i'd been drawing started with like five complete newbies and then like like gadflies drawing some of the other people in they become interested in what we were doing because it was like looked exciting and there was lots of laughter and noise and all of that like how do you do that was kind of the question so that's where we got to and um, and my answer to that was to i had very naughtily sorry wizards but i very naughtily printed off some copies of the basic and the and the basic player book and a basic dungeon master's book so for those who don't know the old red book had the rules broken into two pieces there's a player's book ring holes yeah which has basically um like a a solo adventure which is like just introduces the very concept of role playing and then has a a follow-on solo kind of turn the page kind of you know look up entry you know kind of style adventure which is very famously with a character called bargle at the end a bad guy called (laughs) bargle um and then after that you kind of get told how to roll up character 
and then if you if you want to be the, and then if you're going to take on the game it goes like go to dm book and then there's this introduction to being a dungeon master and his first adventure and what i love about the first adventure it's set in a place called castle Mistermere, and yeah. um and essentially you have like this castle ruined castle the surface and the first level of that are entirely keyed and then there's a second level with a map and you are encouraged to key the map and then yeah. there's like this third level and it says go draw a map and key it and it takes you through like how to do that it actually teaches you how to do D dungeon gaming and yeah. i don't think since 1983 i don't think i've ever seen a product do that um well really full stop but certainly that's the best version that i've ever seen so i'd printed off the player book and the gems book. and what i've been doing is that a couple of players at the table who are curious to learn the rules i had given them the player book and said because they're in my gym i'm jamming they go read the player book go play the solo stuff um and they've done that and that's very successful by the way very successful because then when there was a tpk or well, not a tpk there was a half a party got killed a few weeks ago and i was able to go to those players to the players at the table here's character sheet here's pencil here's 3d6 you've got the book go and then like 20 minutes or whatever they worked out how to put the characters together themselves because they'd already they had the rule book right at hand and they played a little bit so they knew what to do so it's a great starting set yeah. What happened with that GM is I just, my advice to him was like, take this book and take that book. This book here tells you about GMing, being a dungeon master. Um, go play the player's book, start a bit at home and then go and read the bit about being a DM. Okay. Um, and then from there, what's happened is that he has stepped up and gone, can I sit with you while you're running? Um, so we've got into a situation now where two sessions, uh, yeah, he's been sat next to me. Like while behind I'm the screen, behind the screen, and I've been yeah, just walking him through what I'm doing, and cool. Um, and there's an an element of what I'm doing that's using the rules, but there's an awful lot which is actually no, I'm not. This is about methods. It's you know, like, this is what I'm doing. It's how I'm approaching it and why. Um, yeah, it's been quite fascinating, and I think he's enjoying that process. Um, I'm hoping because we went away for the, we're on holiday as we record this, we're on holiday for a week. And um, when we come back, he was talking about he's got um, excited and he's talking about maybe wanting to run something again. So I'm ho I'm wondering to see whether he'll come back for another sit by me watch or whether he will you know, take the plunge. But yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll see. Um, but I think like that that 83 old set like really stands up as a useful tool to give anybody um right. but what has to sit what i realized had to sit alongside it is this willingness to let them in behind the screen and um i did sort sure. of out front i said if you ever want to sit at this table and play you're in a problem you're gonna have a problem now because you you know some stuff you know that the other players don't know um but that's kind of the price of being a gem that you uh, yeah you know that's part of the deal isn't it sorry can, i hope that makes sense the... it wasn't too long no it does you can uh induct them into the sacred mystery of metagaming <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh no, that sounds fascinating and and the opportunity to have them behind the screen you know to to <laughs> watch your drive you know and uh that's that's pretty special and uh and not just for them to learn i don't know about you but i always find when i'm demonstrating something that it changes my thoughts about it. Hmm. 
Yeah, it built. It also like helped with me because I've been so I, again for people who don't who don't listen to all play rescue don't know that I've put myself back into a learning mode um, some weeks ago now. So this game is about this particular game is about five or six weeks we've been going uh, since yeah. So the the school term is like eight weeks, but we couldn't get started for the first two. So it's been about six weeks, and. Um, I had it that in the run up to that over the summer kind of run myself into a, a creative hole and also was feeling very lacking in confidence, I guess is the way where I was. So I decided I'd just apprentice myself. And the term I used there's an episode called like something around about being the apprentice. And yeah. um and my my thinking here was to go right back to the beginning. So the reason I picked, you know, that going back to like 1983, Bet Me, and I knew that the school club, the kids would want to play D&D. It's a recognisable brand. I didn't want to run fifth edition. I was thought about it again. I actually have a copy of the starter set, the, the good one. Um, and I was thinking about maybe I'd run that. But I knew that from past experience of running fifth edition that actually, like I said, that an hour and a half is not enough time for a lot of, you know, if you get into a, a combat, you can, you, it can take an hour to run a fifth sure. edition fight of any size, um, especially if players are new and they are trying to figure out which of all their amazing abilities on their character sheet they can, they want to use and how they work and all those kind of things. There's a lot of dither yeah. factor that you have to take into account. Whereas with a, a Beck me character, you know, you don't have any abilities. So, you know, yeah. it's like you're a fighter, you can hit things. You're a wizard, you've got one spell. You're a cleric, you can turn undead. And if there's no undead, then you just hit things. And you're a thief, you you just avoid hitting things, probably, because you've got one d four hit. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah. But, you know, maybe you stab people or shoot people or something. But that's about it, you know, in a fight. So there's not a lot of... There's not even really... I mean, there are rules for movement and, and things, but it's not usually done, like the battle board thing is not a, a big kind of encouraged part of that original game. And I'm not playing. I have in the Larry last session, I actually introduced using miniatures in a, in a board because I realized the kids visual, like appreciated the visual element of that. I had to invent yeah. some extra, like a little bit of granularity in the rules to make that work. But right. you know, it's, it's essentially like, it's not the same as the, the grid based third, fourth, fifth edition D and D. So it, um, Actually, I'm being a bit unfair because two and a half edition D and D also had that. Um, so, you know, it, it's a very different kind of beast. It's very uh, theatre of the mind, descriptive, quick moving. I um, mean, fights are over in two or three rounds, which is basic. You know, if you've got a party of five characters, they all clobber and kill quite quickly, or no. get clobbered and killed quite quickly. So it is. It's you know, it's very it's very dynamic i suppose is is the what i'm looking for and and that's what generates all the excitement by the way that and the the risk of death which is quite high um sure. so it it's exciting and that's why i decided but it also for me it was this like return to something that i was familiar with that i i as a play i'd been a player in 1983 i was 12 and i'd been playing role playing for quite a few years probably probably four four five maybe even six years to be, can't be exact about that probably as right. much as six years so because we certainly played 77 traveler sometime around 77 78 you know with some friends so that's how i got into into role playing so when 83 came out i got given that box set for christmas and i would always intended to be a gm but i never became the gm but i read all the stuff and that was like right. my first taste of like gonna be a dungeon master thing and um so I remembered it and I thought, well, 
that worked for me, it surely could work at the table, you know, to introduce new people yeah. to the hobby. And lo and behold, it appears to be doing that. So, I mean, by the way, there's there's more than one player is interested in GMing. One of the newbie players after two sessions was saying, hey, can I, I'm going to write my own dungeon. When you finished running this one, can I run the game? Um, you know, and took home a copy of those two books. And then there's another, one of the girls is also like, oh, I'm really enjoying being a player, but oh, might think about doing the dungeon master thing as well. Right. Because it, again, it's also accessible. These are newbies. These are people who, you know, five weeks ago, six weeks ago, had never played a role playing game. So I think that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. And you know that that meshes with with my experience from '83, which is when I started. You know, is I played a session, I got handed the books, and you're going to run the next session. It's like okay, and I did, and we we're off to the races, and we met. You know, we recruited more people and, and that kind of stuff. And everybody that we recruited had the game and they wanted to run it. And so everybody was a game master. Everybody was a player. And uh, that's still my default um, for normal, I think, mm -hmm. uh, which hasn't always been met, of course. <laughs> We're living in abnormal times. But the that kind of sink or swim mentoring was was particularly good for me but i found that when i've tried it with others like here's the book go and do it nothing has resulted from it hmm. and uh it's like oh yeah, I've, I think, I've got some ideas but <laughs> yeah i just think that i mean as an educator it's this thing like, and we both have that in common i think we know we both probably understand and know why that happens as well. Like, so if I just say, like, here's a textbook, go learn about whatever subject, you know, <laughs> some people can do that. Yeah. Most people won't do that. So there'll be this sense of, I don't know, we know where to start and I've got to read all yeah. this. And, and if you're anything like me, I mean, my brain, I've got a kind of brain that wants to, like, I want the gratification of being able to do that now instantly. And I don't, <laughs> you know, the idea of, reading this whole book and like figuring it out was really really difficult i think one of the things that um mentors dnd did really well was it sort of broke it into these little steps so like i said right. like as a gm it's the i've i first i learned to be a player by playing a couple of solo games and and then if i'm i immediately i'm at home i've it's just me and my mates and we've never played before now i get taken into this little other booklet which says right here's a starting point so all, all your guys are going to get into roll up some characters and then they're all going to go up to this castle and you just follow this step by step through the first bit and it's initially it's like a there's a a, a bit of a linear pathway sure. literally literal linear pathway into the castle once they get into there there's a choice of sort of left or right and then the the, the map opens up a little bit and there's kind of like some choice about where you move around and some there's some seriously yeah. meaningful decisions to be made inside of there that you sort of when you run it you learn that it's quite a nasty little level then there's some stairs down and then as the gem you get like there's a map to what's down there and there's it, it a what i love is this little list of like here's some things that are probably down there some of the creatures did it right key them put them out there you know and some treasures here's some things that are probably down there 
Um, by the way, tables at the back of the book, go use them. And then off you go. And then, of course, when you get down there, there's a couple of sets, or at least one set of stairs, I think, maybe even two from memory, that go down to a third level that there's no map for. And the book just says, go draw a map. You've Make got it, two yeah. examples here. Um, yeah. Now, that step-by-step process worked for me, you know, enough anyway. Um, and I actually returned to Mentor's book in 2016. So when I returned to... I I I come out of fifth edition and I was like into the OSR community and then I was very disillusioned with fifth edition. I went right back to the beginning and I and I I opened up my fifth my my eighty three box set and I I actually ran a couple of sessions with it with D and D and then I decided that we we decided we didn't really fancy playing that basic D and D rule set and at the time oh. I was in innered with Mithras so I actually yeah. ended up running that dungeon with mithras's classic fantasy stuff in 2016 right. and i wrote a lot about it back on the old blog then um and really and that just like opened up the hobby again to me for you know after becoming so disillusioned with fifth edition dnd so um it was it's kind of interesting and i i right now as i sit at the sort of with those kids at the table i realized that the there's a methodological difference between like how I really want to play, which is this um, kind of older style and right. approach, um, which doesn't mesh very well with where the official Dungeons and Dragons has kind of gone, if you know what I mean, in terms of right. the, the emphasis on linear storytelling and story up front versus this older thing of like... Experience. Play. Well, it's really about giving players a lot of agency. It's about exploring. Like they, they talk about the three in fifth edition. Talks about the three pillars of role playing, and exploration is one of them. You know, right. and uh, role playing and um, ca- uh, fighting being the the other two. Uh, but actually, doesn't in anywhere in 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 sort of fifth edition tell you how to run an exploration game. And in fact, there's no, there's not even as much as a keyed map in the DMG. Right. There's maps, but they're not keyed, and there's no example of a keyed map anywhere to show you how to do a dungeon kind of base game, you know. And right. it's only really on hindsight looking back that I realised that that's missing. Why is that missing from a hobby? Because actually, many people in a hobby have gone off in a, a, a different methodological direction. Not bad thing, by the way, but just just a different, different methodological yeah. diff, which I don't enjoy. I actually love the exploration of the world, and I think we talked before about exploration of character as well. And yeah. so coming back to this kind of approach, um, it, you know, first of all, is really exciting as a, as a player and a GM, but also like I found I can teach it because those tools were created in all these years ago, 40 years ago. Um, right. And I can use those tools and teach it. Um, whereas I actually have no clue how to teach people to do um, linear story-based um I don't know what you want to call it, but that approach, you know, that right. whole um, epic, uh, you know, adventure kind of thing. I don't even, know, I don't know how to run that. So I can't teach it, you know. Um, yeah. And, and so I, I realized that. And, and I think, and having that realization and then going to the table with the old game and then it's just unlocked so much fun for everybody. To me, it was like, well, this is working. You know, it's not like it's morally right or wrong or good or bad or better or worse. It's just, this is working and we're having fun. So it's working. Fun is contagious. Yeah. You're probably more comfortable and more confident Mm. because everything makes sense. And 
all of that is communicated non-verbally to the people that you're with. And it's worth saying that there is another group of players at the club who came along last year and got into fifth edition and are playing in a more modern style, I suppose, in that they're playing in that sort of, they have a GM who's got a bit of a plot that they're running each other through and using the fifth edition mechanics loosely because they they actually don't really use the rules as much they're playing a much more sort of storytelly um I, I i would i don't know how to describe it the best phrase i've heard is a sort of mother may i kind of thing like um, <laughs> i'm i'm doing this kind of like can i do this yeah you I hear this? that a lot yeah. um uh sure it, give me a yeah yeah and, and they're having a lot of fun with that and they're doing their thing and that's all cool like there's space for that where we're running it's just that when i was introducing new people i had i had to find a way of saying this is what dnd is um kind of or what it can be um and i'm always open about the fact that there's lots of different approaches this is just one of them um but yeah to come back to the subject of like how you mentor a new player i think you have to know what you're doing well enough to be able to show them how to do it and then you probably need to give them some tools and those tools can't just be here's the rule book it, it kind of has <laughs> Most to of the be time, yeah. <laughs> yeah unless that unless that book and these aren't these rule books because it's actually booklets and they're actually yeah. broken down into sections and they're like it's it's with kids thing. in mind i think yeah you know yeah yeah absolutely well yeah a lot of people don't i think a lot of people don't play beckney because they see it as kiddie dnd you know They'd much but rather it, play it, BX, which is nigh on the same system. You know, I know yeah. there are lots of little differences, but nigh on the same thing, but yeah. actually just presented as a, you know, as a, a smaller, thinner, lighter rule book. Um, yeah. It does a fair job of teaching you, like it has some guidance on how to do a dungeon, how to do a, uh, and later on with the experts at how to set up a, a sort of wilderness game. But he doesn't do it in as much as a broken down kind of structure as the right. book, and and that's what I started with. And I I uh, I really appreciated Beckme at the time, and uh, so I, I never ended up buying or getting uh, expert the BX expert. There was mm-hmm. there were copies in the in the group that I read, but I I didn't feel compelled to go get it. But mm-hmm. I did get used copies and and pick up discarded copies of of beck me yeah. it impressed well, me I had, the, I, think. I, had, I had the weird thing of not really ever really getting into i had expert but i weirdly i had by the way i had the red box a3 basic i actually had picked up the 1981 expert book because until recently i didn't have the beck me expert book. Right. um and i picked a copy of that up um i'd re i then read that like recently so in the last sort of two months i have read those rule books and because i never became a dnd gm back in 1983 in the end i never did i was always a player there were other guys who wanted to run games and we rapidly moved on away from dnd anyway so i never got to really use it it wasn't until 2016 that i actually sat down with it <laughs> and used it and realized oh it's such a kind of a clever product and then obviously right. in 2023 to go, that's a clever product. Why don't I use it? Yeah. You know, <laughs> so that's where I'm at anyway. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think it's an important part of this particular conversation about coaching and whatnot, the, the presence or absence of guiding text hmm. so that it's not just, 
like with a with a physical skill at some point in a lesson you're going to send somebody away to practice yeah right you know go do 1000 cuts or go do 500 punches or whatever it is and when it's a, a mental activity there does need to be some time for reflection but there does need to be an alternate input like read the exact same material but in someone else's voice not just my voice and then we'll come together and do the thing and see what makes sense to synthesize all of those elements i also found like having so having this student at the table um so over two sessions the first session was really interesting where they were largely watching and i was sort of explaining they were about to ask a couple of questions um but so like for example we were in the dungeon i think the first session that they were observing we were at the tail end of in a dungeon and the, the players had decided to try and extricate themselves from that dungeon and what was witnessed was uh so this is where they are on the map i'll show you the map this is where they are on the map and by the way here's my key which is my hand scribbled notes because i was used right. i'd used a map from another product um i don't want to name it because other right. adventures might go into it but i had hand then keyed i've got a little notebook and i'd hand keyed some of the dungeon so the first thing i was saying to the guy was I haven't done the whole dungeon. I thought they were my, most likely to go into this area on the map up here, and that's been quite detailed. This bit they were actually went into, when they came here last session, I didn't have any idea, what, or much of an idea what was there. So essentially I improvised these things. And then in between that session and this one in the week, I have like filled out a few of these locations with some things. Um, and what I was able to show them was uh, that, that there was like these the tunnels with sarcophagi, I had for each of the sarcophagi, I had, instead of like detailing what was in it, I put together a little short D6 table. And uh -huh. um, what we were doing is when they went to open the sarcophagus, I would roll on the table to find out what was inside. Um, and so showed them the use of a random roll, random roll. I'd also yeah. was using the core mechanisms of the game has this random um, wandering monster encounter roll, I think is the correct term. Right. And so... I, you know, we we were rolling, and I had them roll the dice. So I said, "Okay, you roll the d6. If it comes up a, a a one or a two in this part of the dungeon, then let me know, and we'll we'll generate some." And that's what happened. They rolled first time, nothing. Second time, got a one. Right now, we've got to generate a wandering wandering monster encounter. So I flipped to the back of the rule book, rolled d20 on that table, um, yes. and actually, what came out was this bizarre. I think it was troglodytes or something. And I, I kind of went, look, that creature is not going to fit in this idea. So I then went, I'm not going to use it. I just went, I'm going to use the skeletons off the list there. That's actually like looking on the list. I'm just going to do that. And I said, now some GMs will like freak out and be screaming at me at this point that I'm like, I made a roll, die roll. And then I kind of like chose it. I ignored but, it. But, I, you know, I ignore that die roll. But I, what I said to him is like, I, I don't, I'm, um, with troglodytes in a tomb that's just been a basically there's a secret room they just opened up this bit of a tomb that had been like thousands of, the idea is supposed to be in thousands of years sealed no one's ever been in there it's a secret room and i i had already established that there were some vermin in there because we'd had an earlier encounter with rats giant rats but i didn't want anything kind of sentient and and alive down there and right. 
I don't even know why I went with the roll. I think it was just to demonstrate to the person that you know you can make it. You would make a die roll when you get a wandering monster encounter. You don't have to make a decision. But then I said, I'm not happy with that because I don't think troglodytes would live in this thing. Simply because where would they come from? Where would they get their food? So I'm I'm going to nix that and go. It's going to be skeletons. That makes loads of sense. I don't, yeah. um, I didn't tell them what else went through my mind, which is that zombies are too hard mummies are a bad idea wraith would be a bad idea all i know all of that that they're way too tough yeah right. skeletons is just fine for level one characters in it and then just rolled and showed them like number encountered i think it was one to six or something so it's like rolled that dice that's how many we got and then started to set that encounter up like roll the encounter distance um there's no reaction roll because they're undead um but all of those things were explained really really quickly behind the screen and i think then well, that I, th I think that shows a person is an entire methodology of how to run like this location-based dungeon adventure. You've essentially got the core things going on there, and demonstrating that was really good. What where where we got to in the second session was I was able to say to them, right, so you're tracking you're tracking um, all my wandering monsters for me, and actually when it comes <laughs> to the when it comes to the fight as well, like the reaction is down to you. So you can roll on the reaction roll table or you can decide. Okay. So then the second session comes along and we, you know, they, the players, they went to town, they did some shopping and then they decided they wanted to go hunting in the wild. And, and I'm kind of like, oh dear, never mind. Because, you know, <laughs> what do you do? So I sort of said to the guy, I've got nothing prepped. So what should we do? And he went, why don't we roll on the wandering monster table? Yeah, let's see what happens because they're going hunting for something. So let's see what's on the table. So we rolled, and we got kobolds. And then I said, "Go look up kobolds and tell me if you want to run with those." So he looked up kobolds and went, "Yeah, they look cool." So we rolled a random number of kobolds because obviously the players are still discussing. So you can do a little bit of back and forth. And right. and you know we got nine kobolds, and it was near the end of the session. So we got them into a situation where they were tracking these creatures. And then the creatures were in a little campy thing, and then it was like they got up in a tree. And they decide they're trying to ambush them, which, you know, we did the surprise rolls and they managed to surprise the kobolds that actually we were describing as dog-headed humanoids with claws, like, you know, all the description stuff, right. not calling them kobolds. So I'm demonstrating all of that stuff. Um, and then we got, to, we got to the end of the first round. They killed one of them with some missile fire. And I said, right, session over. You know, we'll pick up next time. We're right in the middle of a combat, which is, by the way, again, another thing that a lot of GMs would be screaming, Ever stop? I'm going cliffhanger. I said to the kid, cliffhanger. cliffhanger. They want to yeah. know what happens next time. They're going to want to resolve this. Also, it buys me time as GM or us time as GM to you know, code DM to actually decide what the heck's going on because we have nothing planned. And he went, oh yeah, that's a really good idea. So I then said, so you know, you you go and think about it. I'll go and think about it. When we come back next time, obviously I'm going to decide what this is really about. But I'm interested in knowing what you think. Right. And when we got back, he was like, do these cobos have some kind of leader? And I went, that's a really good question. Maybe they do. Hey, let's, let's have some fun. Let's make it a shaman and let's give him some clerical magic and let's make him higher level just for fun. So we did. And um, we had the, the kobold cleric, you know, cleric shaman, like was right. off a couple of spells, which spiced the entire thing up. And, sure. you know, it led to this really nasty combat where two of the player characters out of five died. Wow. Um, in, you know exciting ways but actually what happened is the party decided to sue for peace and then they decided they would challenge the sh the the cleric of our of the player party challenged the cleric the shaman of the kobolds to a duel 
And then nice. the shaman of the kobolds and the and the cleric decide to both have champions. So one of the fighters, the hardest fighter, uh, she stepped up to do to do the the combat. And then I had so we beefed up. We looked at our kobold hit point list and we picked the one with the most hit points, like seven or whatever right. it was, um, something like that or five. Anyway, um, really no number of hit points anyway, but had then step up and we described them as a little bit more beefy and had a bigger sword or whatever. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, the player character proceeded to cut down this poor kobold and one one combat, which was going to happen. Um, right. You know, and that resolved it. And then the, the rest of the, the monster party disengaged, you know, uh, they sued for peace and left it alone. And then these two remaining characters kind of went back to the town and now recruiting new players and that's the point where i was able to go to the three guys who'd lost their characters to go there you go roll up characters um now that whole the whole kind of learning there was really interesting was that the the co-gm was going wow like you can do all sorts of stuff like you can decide one of the monsters is a boss you can even give them like special powers and give them class abilities yeah you can do that if you want I wouldn't recommend it a lot, but you can. Um, also, like you could the whole parley and the whole kind of like thing about running the like a duel and all of that. I would never have thought of that. And I was like, no, I hadn't thought about that. But it kind of came up. You know, one of the players up. decided to go. You know, um, what happens if I kind of like offer to surrender? You know, and off we went into. All right, we'll we'll roll with that. You know, and. Um, okay. And I think there was a whole load of very rich learning, both for me yeah. and for that co-GM and obviously for the players in that whole interaction that makes this game way more interesting, you know, and and now they've got this situation where they decided because they couldn't, they'd, they want, they couldn't take the bodies back and they decided they want to go and recover the bodies. So I think next session right. is going to be going to recover the bodies and try and bring back the treasure that they had the armor and the gear they couldn't carry you know all of that stuff get a wagon kind of go or some kind of cart or something to bring back the bodies and bury them properly because that's really important um yeah. all of that that arises from like taking the world and the characters seriously has kind of already started to happen the players were you know generating all of that that's what we want to do next time so we want to want to bring bring back the bodies you know um uh, that stuff hadn't happened in my gaming for a very long time, you know. Like, so as part Real of this stuff. is the nature of yeah, yeah. Part of this is the nature of old D and D, but a big part of it is the free form open creativity that comes from rolling a wonder monster and just seeing what happens, you know. Yeah. Um, and what I also realized is a big part of this as well is the level of player agency kind of rocketed. Um, there are two things: when characters died, there was a sense of like oh this is real like it matters what we do um right. really does matter someone actually said like we're not going to respawn here are we like no <laughs> and it's like oh crap um i've got rather character and then the, the, so now they're a lot more cautious but i think the second thing with that was the sense of but when we decided to someone's i think somebody says something along the lines of when we decided to go hunting like that actually meant something like we thought, we thought yeah. we were mucking about, and you know that yeah, we'll go hunting for something and see what we can find out there. And I mean, to be honest with you, off that list, they could have had some really horrendous creatures. Troglodytes <laughs> would have been nasty, but yeah. they didn't realise. Now they do, and I think so. There's a player experience, but I think from that co-GM perspective, that whole thing of it doesn't 
Like I just taught him it doesn't matter if you kill half the party. That's still fun. I just taught him that you can monkey around with the encounter, that you could decide or you can roll. I did roll for the reaction of the creatures. And um, then decided. Yeah. And then the player actions decide, made it a combat because they decided to ambush. That was their call. The creatures were like unaware, uh, but would have been neutral. So it would have been a case of like, they would have been a bit, you know, wanting to find out what the intentions of the players were. Um, we did all of that in, and in that half an hour, because that whole encounter was about, that first bit was probably about 15 minutes towards the end of the session. I said I called it, and then into the next session, probably 10 or 15 minutes of playtime. So in about half an hour of actual game time, you know, so much rich teaching so much. happened yeah. um, from someone sitting next to you and just talking it through. And then even and I think if he's back at the table with me next time, you know, like when they decide to go and recover the bodies or whatever, you know, I'm going to go. So what's out there? You know, I, I might have some ideas in my back pocket, but I'm probably going to say to this guy, yeah, what's out there? What will they find? Will the body still be there? You know, um, I mean, in my mind, maybe the wolves have half eaten them or maybe the kobolds came back and looted all the bodies after they left because they left the bodies out there for a few hours, you know. Um, right. So I don't know, but I'm going to see what I would naturally say. Well, what do you think? And then perhaps roll with those ideas. Um I guess in, in some sense, it's almost like you seed more and more of your GM seat to allow them to take a little bit yeah, more yeah. of it. Anyway, that's Absolutely. what I've been doing. So I don't know if there's questions from that or if I don't know if that's actually any use, but I've witted for a long while. I don't think there was any wittering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that is, I mean, how I conceive of like a, an ideal test bed for like launching someone confidently in into role playing without um, constantly second guessing or or whatever you know they're with they're with support material that is has been written to teach them step by step what to do is a very small page count so even if they can't remember where it is they can find it even under stress probably yeah. and they have seen the thought process that the text because of its narrow page count struggles to be able to communicate, which is the actual experience of, of game mastery. Mm. So, you know, that's, yeah, that's quite a good couple of responses to that is actually interesting. Like I kept losing my pay cause I'm very bad at like bookmarks and things. So I you know, literally had the old book in front of me and I'm, you know, I kept losing the Cobalt page because we would go flip to the back to find the treasure or flip to back to roll on a table or flipping flipping to the page on combat to find the combat procedure because I was trying to walk him through. Right, right, they declare actions, then there's movement, then there's missile fire, spells, melee, you know, right. whatever. Um, we'd had the group initiative roles going on. We had a simultaneous combat going on. So we were flipping to, I was flipping like a little bit to go, looking at modifiers and, and other things for that, like showing them where that is in the book and kept losing my COBOL page. And, but it didn't matter because <laughs> that little book is like, you know, yeah. you can just find the things really, really quickly. Oh, this list Even saying to a person like that the monsters are alphabetical. So all you got to do is follow your alphabet. Um, little things like that, I think are actually huge. Um, huge, yeah. When you're under pressure at the table and the players are like, you know, 
Um, looking at you, waiting. What, looking at you, yeah. I mean, although what one of the other things that was really interesting to note is how much with five or six young players, how much they're just chattering and wittering. So if, if you're trying to sort something out, they'll be in character having conversation or they'll be talking about, you know, what they're going to do next uh, or, hey, you know, why don't you start to sneak around the side and ambush them from there? And, you know, all that stuff's going on. And right. I was... I think I pointed out, I sort of said, like, you can, if they're talking and having a good time, just shut up and let them do it. Um, there's a bit when we went shopping where they they got into an argument. The players got into an argument about what to buy from a blacksmith. And they had, like, someone wanted a shield and some plate armor. Somebody wanted, they wanted to have more sets of armor amongst the fighters and the cleric. Um, and they were trying to work out like, with the gold they had, like, the best deal. And then, like, also what they were going to sell of the treasure they had to try and like, you know, and all that. And there was a bit where they got into an argument, two of the players got into a bit of an argument and, and I'm just sitting there totally silent. And he goes, he whispers to me, he goes, why aren't you stopping them arguing? I said, cause they're having fun. Cause if you watch <laughs> that argument, they're not, it's not like they're at each other throat argument. It was a, they were smiling and laughing and actually in character having a discussion right. about, yeah, I, I see what you I hear what you say about plate armor, but you know, surely it would be better to buy two sets of chainmail armor and like you know, right. and surely it would be better. On. Yeah, and I just <laughs> said like butt out. I said to him like you just butt out if they're having fun. And there comes a point where you're probably gonna step in if it's going on too long, but you know, or at least remind them of you know what's going on. I, I sort of said to him the best thing to do is to at some point when you get a little bit it's going on a while is just to roll for a random encounter or something, you know, if we're in a dungeon. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, roll some dice, and that always gets their attention. Uh, and he went, yeah. "What really?" And I went, "Yeah, watch." So we we did it. I picked up like percentile dice and rolled them, and their mind buttons are quite big, you know. So it was like, and that sound, they're like, "What? What was that?" I was like, "Oh, nothing, just rolling something," <laughs> <laughs> you know. And and you 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 know as well as I do, there's a certain element of paranoia that players have. So. Right. It's kind of fun, and all these little techniques that I think are are part right. of what it means to be a good gem. The but, culture of play, yes. Yeah, like I said, methodology to to be a bit more technical. You know, there's the rules and there's your world, but there's also linking those two things is kind of like a method of play, and uh, that's what yeah. I am teaching is a as an older Procedures. school method of play. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and all of that is. You know, taken as a as an aggregate is all is all steeped in an outlook of like what are we playing for like and uh, the thoughts about violence, the thoughts about alignment, the thoughts about uh, what makes good tactics or good strategy, and what do we do with the loot, or do we care, and do we have to cart stuff back home from the dungeon? Is that going to be a part of play or not? You know, all of these mm -hmm. things turn into a a recognizable set of expectations or culture of, of play but... and, and based in what Mensah wrote in 83 so you know there are only a couple of deviations from the methodology that's taught um you know so like the question of like do they have to lug the treasure back yes and and but they get their according to the rule book you get the experience uh at the end of session so they got experience at the end of the session, even if they hadn't taken the treasure back to town. Now, in the past, I might have been tempted to wait until they get back to town with the treasure to give them the right. XP. But then I realized, reflecting on it, if they die in the dungeon, it doesn't matter if they got the XP anyway, 
right? Yes. And if they don't die in the dungeon, they're going to bring to bring in the treasure back. So even if they have found something and then later in another session discard it because they want to find something that's even more valuable, I'm not really that bothered about the you know 50 right. SP that that represents. So you know I don't care enough about that. So I went you know just go with the rules as written, right? And this is the other thing to say is that there's a massive liberation. So me as a very experienced GM who's lost all their confidence, I found just letting go of that, like to go with the methodology as prescribed in the rule book, which is because it's rules and it's also got this methodological stream through it. Just to use that without like uncritically was actually right. very, 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 very relieving. And now I'm at a point where eight sessions on in total across two groups, I am at the point of um, starting to deviate. So I've decided that my Saturday night group, we're going to use, we're not going to use Batman. We're going to use a slightly different BX based game, but we're not using that set of rules because we just want to go a little bit deeper. Whereas at the school right. club, we'll carry on with basically because that's just fine right now, you know? Right. Um, and my world can survive that, you know, that the, yeah. the way the world works between two groups can survive on two similar and related rule sets, not a problem. The core yeah. methodology is the same, um, really, um, and little tweaks. So, um, and again, to introduce a, a new GM to, it's up to you if you, because again, Mensa's rulebook says about a few things, like it's up to you. So if, a good example is with, if they do something and you there's no rule for it, what, how do you resolve it? One option is to roll against their attributes. And in the Beckme, yeah. it actually says you could roll 1d20 under, you could roll 3d6 under, or you could roll any other combination of dice that you like under their stat to find out like how they do. Um, yeah. And I like that when I came across that, that that paragraph, I was like, it doesn't even tell me. I mean, the tradition by the time you got to 1991 with Cyclopedia is that it's in the rule book and it's 1d20 under. But I don't like 1d20 under for sort of inverted commas skill checks. So I went with 3D6 and I said to him, I'm, although the text here gives those options, I'm going with the 3D6 one. And the reason is because I know that that makes higher level, higher values and middle of values more likely to succeed more of the time because of the bell curve. And it very right. briefly explained to a 12 year old kid, right? <laughs> the bell curve. maths of a bell curve, which, you know, as a 12 year old high school kid, he knows enough about maths and probably better at maths than me. So he was able to go, oh, yeah, I get that. You know, we are talking about intellectually precocious people here. So, you know, right. they're, they're not, they're not, you know, don't usually struggle with those kind of concepts at all. So, you know, that worked well. And I said, like, you know, but if you run your game, feel free. Like, if you run it with fifth edition, you'd be running 1d20 roll high with the bonus off your stat. And, you know, that's how that rule works. Just go with the rule. And that's absolutely fine. And, and that's the last thing I want to say, actually, on this as well, is that all the time I've been saying, like, so when you do this with fifth edition, the rules are slightly different. Well, all you just think of this is the method, and all you do is apply your rule as it's written down in the rule book, which means you need to go and read the rule book, you know. Um, <laughs> and there's this funny moment where you went, but that big fifth edition rule book is way bigger than this little thing. I'm like, yeah, that's why I like this little thing. Um, but that's just me, you know. <laughs> Um, he can discover for himself that there's the there's the rules which is like this mm. many pages uh, the handful of pages and then there's all the you know, all the details yeah all but, the uh, all of the feats um yes. spells 
other powers, abilities, and other things, which are all fun. Don't get me wrong, yeah. I'm not an anti-fifth edition. It's just, it's not my jam. <laughs> yeah, well, we got this expression that I came up with in, in martial arts, which was tools for targets, you know. Mm -hmm. So, that, you know, what is the experience I'm looking for and, and what is the, the tool that I should be using for that? That doesn't make the other tools that you're not using in that moment bad ones. It's just... Yeah, well, I mean, anyone who listens to Roleplay Rescue knows that my favorite game system is actually GURPS. Right. So, you know, but why am I not running GURPS at the school club? Well, partly because it's a school D&D club and the kids know and recognize D&D &D and I want to make sure that they can have that connection to that product. I've yeah. been open about the fact that this is an older version of D&D &D, and the reason for it is because it's, just, I quote, what, what I said was it's just simpler and faster. It's like there's less rules and so it's a little bit simpler and faster to run and we've only got an hour and a half. There's nothing wrong with the other game. Get, you know, go enjoy it. And if you want a starter set, there's one in the cupboard over there. You can go and have no problem. No one's taken it yet, but it's there. Um, and then, like, why am I not running GURPS? Well, I could run a GURPS game with them, and there's nothing stopping me. And even I, I, I have essentially developed what I call simple dungeon GURPS, which uses a lot of random stuff and bits and bobs to get us going and quickly. And that would be fine, except that that's not the goal of the club. The goal of the club is not to run, like, a deep, rich, like, narratively um you know challenging i suppose in terms of like you know detailed and challenging and uh in character experience it's not what i'm trying to do. why am i not running as i spoke to you before in your earlier podcast when we did together you know why am i not running this with other world immersed game with no all the rules behind the screen why am i not doing that because i'm trying to teach them the core most common regular kind yeah. of dnd &D game actually yeah. I, i'm effect i'm effectively teaching them an osr style of that you know if we, if we use modern parlance and you've got to start somewhere but some might say that's not the regular kind of game because most people play DD and they don't play in that style style you know but um still it's a recognizable way approach and form of game where the rule the players are aware of the rules they have their character sheet in front of them uh such as it is and they they are, you know, interacting with the game yeah. mechanisms yeah. as much as they're interacting with your world, right? So I wanted to provide that experience. I absolutely decided that's, you know, that this is this is the agenda. This is what we're doing at this game group. If the kids were to say to me, like, sir, can we play like a game like the way you would want to play it? That's a whole different, that's a whole different. Right. The first thing I'd be saying is, well, we can't in an hour and a half because I can't, right. I need at least two, two and a half, maybe three hour session to make that meaningful. I've struggled with my personal game to, you know previously to with a two-hour session at night online i really struggled to do anything as rich as i wanted to so that's why right. i stopped trying to do that because i don't have the slot of time so you you go with something different because you you know well i found from experience that trying to beat my head against the wall of trying to fit something in to the time you don't have <laughs> it just doesn't work yeah it doesn't work. Run it just builds frustration yeah and yeah. i much prefer the rich deep gurps you know, characterized, stated, detailed game, actually much, much prefer it, but it's not as it is playable. Don't get me wrong, but it's not as easily accessible. And I needed really super easy access, super easy access, you know, and yeah. rolls just roll 3d six in order and write that on your sheet is extremely accessible. Even if, yes. again, it's not my preference. I honestly, if you roll a three for strength, tough you know one one player actually did rolls under six for every stat 
and 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 the book says you might you might allow them to re-roll some of those you know so that's what we did we followed the book when it was like there was uh, i think it's when there's three or more stats less than eight i think it says maybe re-roll them so we did we re-rolled them all um this didn't come out very well they, they, you know but um but equally there are players you know i think the that fighter i talked about that she plays a character called freya um she's got like 18 strength i think right you know so roll that the odds of that are what was it 1.2 or less percent chance it's 0.2 percent, something like that it's ridiculously unlikely but yeah. you know they rolled it hooray and we all celebrated and got plus three on the you know strength and the an attack roll so this yeah. strength gives you attack roll and damage right so she's got a two-handed sword 1d10 plus three damage a monster she, she will she will kill a kobold i think they have one to four hit points don't they so she will kill a kobold you know so anyway i wit her so that's pretty slick so <laughs> i think that's a a a better example than I than I ever would have hoped for for how mentoring can work or how coaching can work uh, in this context. When we talked the last time, when we talked about the club and the kids discovering the games and and what they were doing with them, it, it kind of sent me back on a journey of how did we without that, without a school club, without um, a present guiding force, we had random advice from older brothers and we had you know how did we teach ourselves how to play and the, the context was that most of us were not allowed to play mm -hmm. so middle of the satanic panic a, a big deal small town we weren't allowed to play so it was all secretive right mm. we're playing walking to school we're playing standing in stairwells our character sheets are on card notes that we can hide in pockets you know it's like it's ridiculous i didn't even own dice until i've been playing for three four years you know and uh so you know one set of dice and we're all sharing them and you know, roll them on your binder you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. so how did we ever ever learn you know we read and reread and reread either holmes or mancer or moldvay right mm. whichever pieces we had of stuff and we we read uh through whatever modules people had and that sort of stuff but mostly we talked yeah that's what i was going to say it was discussion and um yeah. and it was playing and then talking over it after so i remember we'd never really challenged a gm's decision in the middle of a game i don't really ever remember that happening um through all of my games with traveler and then we got to D D and then we got into world master and then and so on and so on and so on. Um, and Star Frontiers was a game we played a lot of as well back in the 80s. So it's at least four different game systems. One of those, Role Master, was extremely complex. But I remember, like, right. you know, they're in, in comparison. Um, you know, I remember that we would play the session. At the end of the session, so the fa most famous session of Role Master was later on, about 87, 86, 87. Um, we did a 24-hour charity roleplay thing. And Goriel Swift, at my halfling, got in, in the Moria got into a fight the party got into a fight with the Balrog of Moria and Goriel left uh decapitated the Balrog right we, yeah that's what happened 
Um, so the the GM but how did le- he leaps sixty feet into the air and swings his short sword, <laughs> takes off the thing's head. So that's what happened, and that's what I'll always remember. And it's my favorite character of all time because of that that moment. But at the end right. of the session, I remember us having a conversation together with that wouldn't have happened. We did that wrong, you know what I mean? Like we went back to the rule books and we and we picked it apart and we went, okay, it's what we should have done. Um, and that's how we learned, you know, like part of it is how we learned the rules, but there were times where the conversations were actually, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So I learned, for example, I learned to kibosh, um, a random table role from a discussion with the GM where he, he, we'd been in a kind of similar situation to one I described earlier, where we're in a dungeon and he got something on a random table and he put it into the dungeon and we were all like, as players all going, where the hell did they come from? Like, how? <laughs> this, this is, uh, there must be another entrance. We were like, there must be another entrance. There must be another entrance, yeah. Because how did they get in here? You know, like, how? what would they eat? What would they survive on? That was the discussion that was had amongst the player characters. And at the end of the session, the GM was kind of like, yeah, it was off a random table. And we had a conversation about whether maybe you shouldn't be, maybe we should sometimes modify what we've rolled. Maybe if it doesn't make sense in the world, you know then maybe you should change that although the, the argument went both ways because he was saying yeah but actually the ideas you came up with about there being another exit i thought about maybe just having this tunnel come off and going to a cave somewhere where these creatures might actually come from um right. i could do that you know um so we're talking about um I, I guess it's the abduction thing isn't it where you you work with this if these facts are true then right. if these other facts must be true you know kind of yeah. thing that's what we do all the time um that thought process but um essentially it what it came down to was like yeah i probably should have changed the role you know and um i remember i can right. remember having conversations like that that were and that's i Definitely. think how we learned like as players Definitely. the gm would occasionally open up and say hey what do you think about this thing um you know i did yeah. it was did it this, fun but, was it frustrating yeah. 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 yeah and and because we were all friends and we were all learning that that was fine um yeah. so we kind of we actually literally coached each other because you know the difference yes. between mentoring and coaching so mentor is a one who will show you tell you you know and there was often like this this process of talking through like theoretically what you do and then showing like the person might observe you doing the thing yeah. um coaching tends to be a lot more along the lines of like you're doing something and you have the coach comes along and says how are you doing with the thing you know, and then what problems have you had? And the person is themselves producing the answers, you know, right. like it's a different process and dynamic. Well, so I think like that was back in the day, there was probably a lot more coached learning going on. Uh, right. we on, on a peer to peer level yeah. also. Yeah. And we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have thought about it in those formal terms, but you know, we just, no. well, that was what we were doing. You know, there was an element and sometimes you were just listening to the conversation. I didn't often chip into these conversations very much. I would just remember listening to them and the, the other guys who had more, like there were at least four guys around the table who GM. Right. I didn't. So it was a case of like, I would listen in on there, what they would say. And I learned, it seems a, a lot from that. Um, you know, I, even though I never really took the plunge back in those days. It was only when I was forced to be GM because there were no GMs <laughs> that I've become, as I am now, pretty much, I love the GMing bit, even though I yeah. have a love-hate relationship with it, but I, I broadly love it. Um, so, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, how did we learn oh, from each other by a process of trial and error? 
trial and error, deduction, abduction. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) (laughs) what I remember most is that we were all running games and not necessarily with each other in them, Mm -hmm. right? Because it was very much play as you can. So I had multiple worlds and we all had multiple characters and, and, and that kind of thing, right? So there is a lot of what happened in your game conversations. And I couldn't find the rule for this. What would you have done uh, conversations? And, oh, you could have done this. Or what about this monster? Or what about this situation? And, and remember what, what that guy did in his game? Well, you could, you know, an awful lot of broadening of your knowledge base or or you know refreshing your your memory of things that you could or should do or not do and and why was so and so so upset at the end of the the game and you know mm. why was this one fun but the other one not fun lots of conversations yeah, there, like that and there were conversations around i've been reading this other game and there's this idea <laughs> you know uh, and that's what happened with the red box with our group because we've been playing for years um, but when the red box came along, when I got that for Christmas and I was reading it, I I remember taking some of that stuff to the group and going, I'm not saying we should run this, but there's loads of, you know, information in here that, you know, about dungeons and things that we hadn't, we didn't really have access to. So it was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then we started picking it apart, you know. So right. I think like I learned, I mean, I learned to key a map because um, some the modules that we, you know, we got from, uh, both from Game Design Workshop, but also from um, TSR, you know, showed you a map with the numbers on it, and then there was linked text, you know. But I think I learned to make the key tighter when I read Mensa's Red Box because it was the way that was very laid specific. Out was was, was yeah. about teaching, and it was very specific, you know. Um, and I, I still think there are flaws in it, you know, when I look at it now, but it's. It's still like the best tool I've seen. The only thing that comes anywhere close to it is Justin Alexander's did a co-wrote a game recently called Magical Kitties Save the World. Um, And he's directly said that he was inspired by the the Mensa Red Box when we did this, but he's done like a, it's a game aimed at eight year olds or something something like that. It's like, you know, eight to 12 year olds. Um, Magical Kitties Save the World kind of tells you some, it's like, something it is actually a cracking little fun game but um right it has a a, a starting adventure which is it, it's done as a cartoon like a graphic novel style oh, cool. um but it's it's that turn to the page that you know thing um but it's a right. very well done and it's they're definitely inspired by Mensa. and then the the parts of the rules where it says about like there's some adventures to run in that box and then when it says about doing your own things Again, it's got guidance. It's got like some structured guidance in there. And that is the closest I have seen to a how to do GMing in a modern product, you know, in a very, very long one. I think it's a very good one. Yeah. But um, you had brought up. are going to pick up that box set. <laughs> I, I don't know how many people are going to want to, how many old people are going to want to play Magical Kitties, but it's probably more than I think. Yeah. I'd love to have a go, you know. Um, but I, I bought it because I thought my wife might get, I might get her back to the table with that one. And she's tempted right. by magical kitties, but still too burned by <laughs> appalling um, group dynamics. So uh, never mind. Uh, 
Well, to, to close up, I guess you had brought up Mithras. <laughs> yep. Uh, you had brought up Mithras, which is you know a game very close to my heart, and I think it kind of rounds out this conversation in that Menser, I feel very lovingly and patiently walks you through step by step. You know nothing to mm-hmm. now go make a map and and mm-hmm. play with your friends. And I find for for the older gamer or for the returning gamer, that's something that Mithras does too. Mm-hmm. But with the intermediate and advanced kind of material, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, like it, as you go through Mithras, it's explaining to you, this is why we're using this, the statistics this way, yeah. right? This is why the derived stats are this way. This is how you build a cult. This is how a cult would operate you're not going to call it a cult. You're going to give it a different name and it's, you know, it's going to have a different position in your society. But, you know, it, it patiently talks to you all the way through every rule about uh, what you can. Yeah, what you can do with it and why it's written the way it is. And I found it really refreshing to have the game kind of speaking to me directly in that way. And there, there aren't very many of those either. Right, there's no, I mean, I'm again, I, I some years ago I wrote a, a blog post and it's I've put it on to Roleplay Rescues, you can look it up. An, an apologia for uh, Mithras Classic Fantasy, and <laughs> um, and the reason is because I'm with you, I think like Mithras as a as a D100 based you know, uh, you know, game is essentially based on the old Rune Quest, um, yeah. that you know, I got into in 80. Um, that that's an updating of those rules and a and a, a development of those rules, if you like. Um, it, and it does what actually myth. I think RuneQuest three actually has those explanations, and actually RuneQuest two actually has those explanations about stats, like why. So when we're doing the bonuses for manipulation right. bonuses for skills, um, why is it that it's Dex and intelligence, uh, for right. example, um, and all so those it all kind carries of yeah. yeah, that style carries through. And again, it, you know that comes from the eighties. But I think those play it those those writers the, the, the design mechanism the guys there Pete and um, uh, oh, Lars, Lawrence Lars, Lawrence Whitaker yeah. just yeah. amazing job of taking that spirit forward in a very practical way and yeah it's no surprise to me that you know I told you in 2016 I picked up um, Mensa's Red Box and then I was also reading Mithras and it wasn't very long before I put the two together. You know, and I started running Mithras with my group using the dungeon from Betme, um, and then very quickly built what has become like what became the Mistamir realm, uh, slightly different spelling, uh, right? And actually got picked up by the design mechanism to invite me to write uh, an adventure for the Mithras Classic Fantasy, which is a supplement for Mithras, um, set in yeah. that. And that style and spike. Now it's really interesting to me as the person who got kind of picked up as an enthusiastic supporter of the game and then got invited to run write a dungeon for it, that what was happening at the same time was I was returning to those classic roots and methodology. Um and it matches really beautifully with that game system. So yeah, I hear what you, you know, I absolutely echo what you're saying in terms of of all the modern games out there. You know, right. there are very few that teach you how to play and how to adapt your rules to fit the world you want and get the effect that you want. You know, 
Um, and of course, now classic fantasy. If you if you're into that style, sitting here listening to this, and you want to play with Mithras, you go and get the classic fantasy imperative, which came out right. just a few weeks ago, which has the core game rules of Mithras blended with the classic fantasy stuff that um, has been written for you know beautifully, amazingly written for that that whole game. Um, yeah. Essentially, for free. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, and then you it's can buy a classic fantasy book. Yeah, I mean, yeah. again, Rod, who is a friend now, uh, invited me to write. But you know, he's he's done an amazing job of taking that original. I loved D and D, but I really hated D and D. I loved the <laughs> the kind of fantasy that D and D offers me. First edition and second edition. He's really yeah. he tends he tends to be first edition style and then second edition he uses as a sort of basis for mechanically translating things into d100 um right. but i you know he's the guy who loved dnd hated dnd and loved RuneQuest and d100 brp and wanted to bring those two things together and has done so and if you haven't yeah. checked out mithras classic fantasy then classic fantasy imperative is your product and i know i am not being paid to say it <laughs> um, but yeah. we but you know, so 18 months ago we were play testing some of that stuff and um, we had so much fun with it and it's only my as gm at that particular session it's only my like personal failings and well-being that got in the way in the end because you know we, we all have dark times right so actually we had so much no. fun with that game um because yes you're right it's doing the same thing that you know, those older games did, which is providing this flavor of fantasy gaming that's easy to pick up and run with and sort of, you know, can can adapt to any sort of style, you know, and at the same time doing that with this very much better, more organized, well-explained set of rules, you know. Yeah. I say better in the sense of just being more detailed and richer, I guess. For me, I prefer that. I like GURPS right. after all. But <laughs> also navigable you know you yeah. can you know where stuff is in the book yeah i mean right. i've got like basically I'm, I'm going through culling my shells and it's basically the top three games and uh, my top three games include mithras you know so um it is a very very good game yeah yeah as i have been spending the last few weeks stepping back into classic brp the mm -hmm. Call of Cthulhu flavor, you mm -hmm. know, from the fifth to sixth kind of okay. kind of era. It's uh, it's been really fun, making me really hungry for doing Mithras stuff. But mm -hmm. also, it's just it's it's like putting on your favorite jacket. You know, like the seasons have turned, and you can finally put the right coat on and and yeah, everything. I've I've just been spent. Um, some guys have asked me because. A conversation happened in our Roleplay Rescue Discord the other week, which was basically the guys, I wasn't involved at first, but the guys were going, I've heard it said that you can play like ducks and baboons in RuneQuest. Is this true? And then, of course, <laughs> I ended up chipping in with, well, yeah, of course you can, because you can play any of the any of the Anything, monsters yeah. at the back of the book. Pretty much, well, not all of them, but most of them are statted in the same way as characters. So you essentially know what to roll to roll them up, and you've got all the other stats. Everything is built using the same kind of structure. It's not like in actually classic D and D where the you know the monsters have a completely different stat structure, right. you know, to the player characters. Um, so you know, RuneQuest, 
and all the BRP games have that, you know, the, the same seven stats, is it? I can't remember uh, the top of my head, but those seven stats. Anyway, that led right. to a conversation of like, oh, we could play on Monday nights again. And I'm like, yeah, maybe we could. And then we've got to the <laughs> point where maybe we could play some Rinkus because we'd love to play Baboons and Ducks, please. So we are taking <laughs> Baboons and Ducks to Griffin <laughs> Island um, with RuneQuest 3. Right. Now, I've got so, this really horrible feeling that I'm going to play RuneQuest 3 on Griffin Island for a few weeks, and then I'm going to very rapidly feel like, can we just do this with Mithras? Um, yeah. and, and I'm going to end up going, like, Mithra, like RuneQuest 3 is great, don't get me wrong, it's like 96-page uh, Games Workshop British edition of that that I've got, it, you know, which has got the core rules and is really nice. You know, it's like just stripped down. Grantha's gone, unfortunately. Or maybe right. fortunately, how you look at it. I'm going with Griffin Island, not Griffin Mountain, because we don't want to play in Grantha. But I do want ducks and baboons. Now, ducks are in the back of that book, but baboons aren't. So I'll nick the baboons out of RuneQuest 2, because I can do that. Right. Um, and then we'll play. But I know that if I go to Mithras, I can use those same flipping stats, actually. So even, yeah. you know, even if ducks and baboons aren't in Mithras, I can't remember if they are. I think baboons might be, but ducks aren't. Um, but I imagine the stats aren't going to be all that different. Because ultimately, that BRP engine, you know, you can like mix and match. And I know I could take stuff out of my Call of Cthulhu set and do the, you know, and put them into the same thing. Yeah. All stuff. Yeah. So, um, and I love that about that game. Um, so I think, like, again, though, my point was that I know that if I play with the old edition of RuneQuest, that there often comes, I've had this before a few times, but there always comes this point of like knowing Mithras is out there. I always end up with the question in my mind of why am I not going to Mithras? The usual answer, by the way, is simply because Mithras's combat system is so much more detailed and therefore right. a little slower at the table. Um, that For a period uh, of time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that actually if, the t if you've only got two hours or two and a half hours online game time, then that, that can, you know, a fight can take you your evening. Um, and I know that like using the stripped down RuneQuest 3 is going to be a bit quicker. Yeah. But there's nothing to stop me, by the way, using Mithras and just not using some of the options that are in there. Because, you know, it's, it's basically it would be a lie to say you couldn't just use the core role to hit and ignore the special effects, for example, which adds an enormous degree of richness to the game, I have to say, and you should absolutely yeah. use if you can. But it it's just like you could just ignore those and just go with the hit point damage like in the old yeah. days, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and while we're on the subject of talking about being a bit BRP, I guess we ought to mention in passing that there's a new BRP book, right? Right. <laughs> um, which I've also got. So <clears throat> it's been republished, guys. That's true. And it has been adjusted somewhat. Yeah. My only problem with it is it completely fails to tell you how to play the game, really. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, it's lacking that kind of advice that we just talked about was being present in Mithras. Yeah. And I'm sure that's entirely fair, but it doesn't have that broken down. You know, it's got all the options for playing like any kind of game you want, whether it's investigative horror, fantasy, or science fiction, or whatever you want. All yeah. those options are in there, and it'll talk you through like that. But also, it does come with two things it comes with the assumption that you're going to be playing a narrativist approach to gaming that story based story. focused yeah. you know kind of game yeah. not like a more traditional sr kind of open world game right this um, is the... it doesn't have any advice around that and the second thing to say is it doesn't really have much advice beyond like getting to some characters you come up with some 
scenes and then you roll you run those scenes it doesn't give you structural advice which um, right like, like how know, to start your first yeah. setting or you know how to yeah. build a world or that kind of stuff it's, it's a toolkit yeah it's yeah. a toolkit set and it's a gorgeous toolkit set um yeah. but it is still like so many things it lacks the methodological guidance i mean even my favorite game in the world gurps lacks methodology deliberately um you know i've talked to um the creators of that game and they're like yeah we didn't want the fourth edition of gurps is it's just basically a toolkit of rules it doesn't tell you how to run a game that's deliberate it's not prescriptive it's descriptive and right. um and i guess you know that's fine as long as you know how to run a game um, but to bring right. this like full circle, if you're introducing someone to again, this is another reason why I would not initially take GURPS to the club because it doesn't. If I give them the rule book, it doesn't tell them how to run an adventure right. or game. You're just or, creating more questions yeah. that they yeah. don't have the in experience fact, to answer. In fact, yeah. it's a it's a massive toolkit of rules that they'd have to. It's a subtractive approach. Like GURPS, you need a subtractive approach. The same with BRP core rulebook. You'd need to take a subtractive approach. Yeah. Of what they don't, don't need I this. need? Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. need the, the gun rules. I don't need the, you know, I don't need the rules on superpowers. I don't need the rules on even maybe on magic. Or if I've, if I'm going to use magic, which of the X number of magic systems am I yeah, going to use? Yeah. I only need one magic system or I only need yeah. two. Yeah. And, and of course, for newbies, that's totally going to poison the well. So that's why I didn't take that to school. That's why yeah. I wouldn't take BRP to school. Right. Um, and even with Mithras, to be fair, um, you know, you'd still have to do a little bit of that because you've got what four magic systems, I think. Five. Um five. And if you count the one from Classic Fantasy, six. Right. Then. So I mean, oh my God. <laughs> anyway, That's but again, like you could use them all and they're all compatible as well, which is a glorious triumph for that system. <laughs> um, but in reality, you might want two of them in your right. game. Jaunt for genre reasons. Yeah. 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 So um, what I like to do yeah. is is we're playing one game like Star Wars or whatever, mm -hmm. and I'll see someone is interested in game mastering, and I'll slip them a copy of the Mithras rules, and mm -hmm. say we'll talk about this later. <laughs> and uh... yeah, but I will come back to the giving them a rule book rarely works thing that you said earlier. Um, yeah, I think in the end, we have to know, talk. Yeah, I, I think that um, one of the things I'd like to propose that maybe out of this conversation because just sitting here talking about it, I've realised this. Uh, we need to do more of saying to people, why don't you come and sit at my table and co-GM with me? I think we need to do yeah. that more. I think so. And you know, and, if we uh, are playing online, like saying to someone, you're going to be a co-GM with me and we're, we're going to need to like message each other or occasionally, like, I don't know, maybe we even need to use the separate rooms thing or something. But right, or maybe we need to rooms. meet before yeah. session a coached or mentored approach to this is something i think the hobby desperately needs especially if it's yeah. true and there's a shortage of gms right if that if that is indeed true and sometimes it feels like it but uh mm. when the, you're a gm uh, it doesn't <laughs> i don't notice <laughs> then <Yeah. laughs> the uh or at very least if we're not going to do that at least um mm be willing to interact with each other about the session that we have just run or yeah. getting ready to run. Yeah. I, did, I, I do uh, think it, but I do think it's worth saying to someone, like if you really want to do this gym thing, there's an element of like commit yourself to that path and saying, I'm going to move myself towards running a game. So maybe the first, one of the early steps in that is yes, these discussions, but actually 
there comes a point where I actually think like, no, come co-GM, like come be like, uh, there's a, um, a wonderful tip I picked up. Uh, I can't remember where from. I'm just for, desperately trying to rack my brain to remember. But the idea of getting someone to play the adversary in yeah. a game. So like you're GMing a game and when it comes to a combat scene, then you have a co-GM run the NPC monsters or whatever you want to call them, right? Yeah, I've, um, I've been doing that for the decades. Adversary. Yeah, yeah. Now that's a great thing to do. And that's a great first step for anyone who's learning to GM because they can sit with you and have some access to behind the screen. And when it comes to the fights, they can actually then actually role play those those NPCs. And you as a GM can actually adjudicate a lot more detached in a lot more detached right. style. It it really changes the dynamic of your, your table as well. But it is um a great learning, I think a great learning experience for the near fight um yeah so, i totally to agree to on their feet <clears throat> although i have a <laughs> i have a an infamous or famous video on my channel called the worst session ever uh-huh which is when i was doing exactly that um but i was doing it with people who'd never experienced it before mm -hmm. and they thought that the extra people in the room were going to be playing normal characters and be allies or whatnot and when they turned okay. out to be just there's a huge mass combat that we've been building up to for quite a while and i just needed extra help so they they came and mm. and we're gonna play and it, <laughs> it did not it did not go well it was the worst session ever but i still stand by the the technique was that a matter of expectation setting then Totally, the uh, culture clash expectations. I didn't explain anything. It didn't even occur to mm -hmm. me to explain. Mm -hmm. These people are here as as game master assistants. You know, don't look at the men yeah. behind the curtain, kind of thing. I, yeah, yeah. So and that was an important thing to say about the school club thing I was talking about earlier. Is that you know when this particular player comes behind the screen with me, I said to the players like, okay, so you know, X person here is basically jamming along with me and and learning. So. Um, don't sort of don't mind them um right and i think like when we get back i'm probably going to do some of the adversary stuff i'm probably going to say like if if he isn't yet confident enough to go and run his own game it will be a case of saying right we'll start taking more and more of you know of what i'm running without completely seeding the gm seat because i don't want to lose the game um right but to say like if they get into a fight scene or whatever to, i'm going to go yeah you run the monsters and um and again it's that communication expectation at a table thing and it's easier with near fights because they, they they think it's all part of a game anyway exactly yeah <laughs> all right so well this has been news, then? <laughs> this has been awesome i got all kinds of memories coming back and uh and <laughs> i'm even more jazzed to to get into mithras a little bit in the future although i'll be going through the rivers of london before i get to Mithras, which is a, an even more stripped down version of BRP, which I'm really excited to, mm -hmm. to get to try. But we've got this detour through Call of Cthulhu first, um, yeah. which has uh, been surprising and fun. But, uh, mm. but anyway, thanks for want, taking time out of right. your holiday to come chat. Okay. And, uh, I actually, you remind me, I need to get my second edition Call of Cthulhu book out, box, sorry, out. Um, that's right. So I got that. Was it last year? I think that arrived last year. And, yeah, yeah. Did you get the I, one inch or the two inch box? It's the two inch one. There you the go. Extra stuff. <laughs> um, and uh, that's because uh, like seventh edition Cthulhu, 
I have never played or run really. Um, um, I and when seventh came out, I trusted Mike because Mike Mason I used to work with many years ago at Games Workshop. So um, I trusted him so much that I actually got rid of my fifth, my sixth edition Cthulhu when seventh came out. Mm. And then there are some things about seventh edition that um, are different. <laughs> so yeah, well, it's, it's what we were talking about before with the 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 shift in focus between story as product story is byproduct and so if you're shifting into seventh edition then you're embracing the notion of story as product and and there's tools in there that let you do that um and uh, yeah the second edition is is very much coming from uh, having reread it and i had a conversation with justin alexander about it in a, i'm passing an interview we did some months ago but it was a thing of like actually you can really see in that second edition of cool theory where there's there's still this figuring out how to do investigation um mm. horror gaming and explain it to people thing when the background was fantasy do you know what i mean and i think it's yeah. fascinating just to read the product from that point of view because like the the first example adventure is very much a location-based yeah, the corporate house, house. Yeah. Yeah, the other one housing, <laughs> you know kind of adventure and then the next one isn't like that and it's it's interesting to see that evolution through Call of Cthulhu um yeah. Yeah, because it, you know again it came from that 1980 uh 81 era of separating itself from the D&D way of doing things as it was back then yeah I love history yes me too and that is a discussion We'll have to shelve for another day because if you get me started, yep. we'll just never stop. Yeah. There's that in time. There's time. <laughs> All right. Well, take care. Bye. Stay healthy. Maybe the Thank next you. conversation we can get into maybe that divide, that rupture in gaming culture between oh God. <laughs> playing with the story and playing for the experience. Oh, uh, my God. Or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying thing terrifying to unpick anyway thank you very much for having me on my pleasure take care you've been listening to the casting shadows podcast details about where to find more casting shadows can be found in the show description, as well as links to finding the tremendous material produced by our guest, Che Webster. If you find you'd like to comment on past, present, or future episodes, details of how to contact us to leave a voice message through SpeakPipe are also provided in the show notes. This episode has been lengthy, and I hope interesting and maybe entertaining. Until the next time, take care.